0: Welcome to the Wilton Baptist Church, where we worship God, walk with others, and win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Pastor Steve, and our congregation is pleased to share this message with you today, and we pray it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Blessings as you listen or watch. Matthew chapter 2. So in your copy of Scripture, Matthew chapter 2. One lady waited to the very last minute to get her Christmas cards all ready to go. She had 49 people on her list. And so she went to the store. She found a pack that had a 50, 50 cards in it. She didn't really look at them, but she grabbed that 50 pack And in a big hurry, she addressed 49 cards, signed them without reading the message inside, and put those in the mail. On Christmas Day, after the busy season kind of quieted down, she had a reflective moment. She went over to uh, her table, and there was the card, that last card, number 50. And she thought, I'll just open that up and look at what I sent everybody. And inside was two sentences, a short little poem that read this. This card is just to say, a little gift is on the way. <laughs> uh, she wanted to not really give those gifts, probably. but <laughs> Competing Christmas worldviews is our message today, in particular, individualism. Individualism is our theme. Last time we looked at consumerism, and today we'll look at individualism. In Matthew chapter 2, our key verse will be verse 16. I'll read it to you, and later on we'll read the whole passage. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men." And this is called the Slaughter of the Innocents, this event in history that really took place. And I've been to the location where a mass grave was, and I'll show you a picture in just a little bit of where this happened. Individualism. Herod is totally individualistic, and his worldview is me, myself, and I. That's his Worldview. Individualism could be defined this way. So here's a textbook definition from the book Hidden Worldviews. If you want some interesting reading, a terrific book. Individualism is the belief that the individual is the primary reality and that our understanding of the universe and lifestyle should be centered in oneself. Individualism says that my unique interest and goals should be pursued as much as possible by whatever, deem, whatever means deemed proper. Thus, individuals strive for auto, autonomy and self-sufficiency, relying on others only as they contribute to one's personal pursuits. Family, community, society are at best secondary considerations. So this is the individualistic worldview. Smith's worldview questions that we looked at last time, this is how to kind of determine a worldview. You could ask these four questions, and it relates our story to the bigger story, the bigger story that that God has us being a part of. But the first is this, who are we? And then where are we? What is wrong? Every story has these elements. What's wrong? There's always A protagonist or an antagonist type thing that happens and uh, what is the answer there's always a solution you read any book you read any story you watch any film even listen to a song sometimes and there's a progression answering these questions a problem arise arises and then there's a solution what's the answer and so as you ask those questions of yourself then you can also find your own worldview but let's take a moment and i'll illustrate this by asking taylor swift Let's ask Taylor Swift her worldview. The most popular singer of the last two decades. She's catching up in sales with people who've been selling records for 50 years or more. And um, Taylor Swift, who am I? Who is Taylor Swift? Who am I? I am an international billionaire musician sensation with followers called Swifties. People often call my brand once in a generation. I am an influencer in the arts and beyond in America and in other parts of the world. I've already sold more records than Elvis. Now, some of you know, you read the news, she was just named Person of the Year for time. And I didn't even know that. I I figured all this stuff up before all of that. Who am I? So number two, where am I? I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, Arrowhead Stadium, and anywhere my eras tour is at. I live in a prosperous land with millions of people streaming my songs, music, and fashionable clothing are my brands that people find a way to purchase. I am more significant than labels, than music streaming services, and I'm more significant than the NFL. What's wrong? Let's ask Taylor what's wrong. I want what's mine. I don't always get paid, and when I don't, I pull my music from streaming services like Apple and Amazon and Spotify. I just take it right off what's wrong taylor my romances have not been very enduring i am still trying to find a long lasting love cruel the name cruel is my biggest hit telling a story of a fleeting summer love doomed to brevity but i'll enjoy it while i have a new body for the moment what's the answer well, I grew up in the Bible Belt and I heard music in church, I have found that I am the answer to my problems. Yet, when 9-11 happened, my miscarriage, my mom's cancer, and several breakups, I found myself drawn back to praying to God again. Taylor Swift. Summary. Taylor has become an international sensation, musical icon, Though she seemingly has fame, money, and a loyal following from people, she's still looking for that something more. There's a better story from her youth that she has neglected, of Christianity that she's turned away from. Finding outrageous success within herself, she's accumulated tremendous wealth and has been aggressive at getting what's hers. When streaming services do not pay, like whenever they have the free months and things like that, she demands payment when relationships do not work out she finds another one and for nearly two decades after several successful attempts at rebranding and reinventing herself and her music she is still searching individualism is not what she thought it would be and in some ways she is also molded or morphed Christianity—true Christianity true Christianity into one of her own image with the promotion of LGBT, BLM, and abortion on demand and access to that. She holds to this even though she knows at times that she alone cannot fully answer the deeper questions Of life. Taylor can find peace and joy and relationship resolution in Jesus Christ. And while writing a bigger story of her life, she could find the true story and the true significance and the true meaning in relationship with Jesus. So you can ask these questions to kind of determine what's my worldview or what's this person's worldview. Let's read this story now in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. And let's kind of consider Herod once again. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard lamenting, lamentation and weeping, and a great mourning. Rachel weeping for her, her children and would not be comforted because they are not. They were killed. What kind of individualism, then, is Herod? There's two types of individualism, and you'll see these. When I say these... these um, these perspectives, you'll say, I know somebody like that. Or you'll know, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll think about something that you've seen. There's unit, utilitarian, utilitarian individualism and expressive individualism. Utilitarian individualism is this. It's been a dominant force in America since its founding, and is often fueled by the quest for the American dream. This version of individualism focuses on personal achievement and material success and believes that the social good automatically follows from the individual pursuits of one's own interest. Thus, the utilitarian individual does not necessarily reject the structures and rules of society. Instead, they are viewed primarily as guidelines or tools that help the ind- individual work efficiently within a system in other words there's a willingness to accept certain restrictions on personal behavior such as laws prohibiting bribery because a system that requires honest business dealings ultimately benefits those who work hard so this would be utilitarian it's it's you it's something i can utilize and it will work for me to get what I want. And then there's expressive individualism. And I don't know when the shift took place in our culture, but from the founding, Americans are, we tend to be very much uh, utilitarian individualistic. But there has been a shift, and here's, here's what you'll, you'll see what, I'm, what I mean by this definition. It's a reaction to the limitations of Utilitarian individualism, expressive individualism is, while the latter generally advises that we pursue individual success by conformity to the rules and common practices of society, expressive individualism worships the freedom to express our uniqueness against constraints and against conventions. Because rules and social conventions encourage conformity, they are viewed as a threat to personal expression and individuality. All right. So, if Americans are not into consumerism that we looked into last time, they're into one of these two forms of individualism. And probably it's really morphed into this expressive individualism. I want to do what I want to do, I will be what I want to be. You can see how this has led to a lot of the way society is. This is why some people will celebrate Christmas with a rainbow flag. This is also why some people will see the Palestinians raping and torturing the the people that they abducted as justified. It's because of this worldview of individualism. Do whatever you want to do Don't let morality, don't let rules, don't let law and order, or even the laws of nature constrain you from doing or being what you want to be. This is expressive individualism. We see it every single day. We don't care to bend the rules of society or attempt to break the laws of nature. We don't care about those things. We will do what we want to do. Herod is a classic expressive individualist because... He looks at the potential of a king, this new king. I can't have a new king. I'm going to watch out for me, even if it means murdering over 500 two-year-old and and under baby boys. He He don't care. I'll break the rules. I'll do whatever I want to do because it's all about me where herod wanted to kill jesus the wise men wanted a relationship with christ one of the best ways to make friends is to give a gift to be selfless the wise men bring a gift jesus as a baby he's the gift of god to the world there's such a contrast between herod and these other people that's part of this story today's message will emphasize this our our bible world view is relational your bible worldview should become more relational and a lot of times even christians struggle with individualism when it comes to even their worldview perspective so let's ask herod the four worldview questions who am i well i'm an avid builder and dreamer known as herod the great if it's grandiose and extravagant i build it I'm a king hoping to build a dynasty on the back of the Jews within the Roman Empire. And I've made quite a name and reputation for myself. In fact, I'm hated by a lot of people. Number two, where are we? Well, Jerusalem, of course. Number three, what is wrong? A new king has been born. Some rumors are swirling around about the arrival of this new king. And here's my main problem. I don't know where he's at. I need to know where he's at so I can deal with it my way. What's the answer? When I find this new king, I will kill him. I will preserve my dynasty. My brand will live on forever. I am the answer to my problem. Classic, expressive, individualistic worldview. But the Bible is different. The Bible worldview is different. It's relational individualism's influence on Christianity is very apparent. And here's where. We, we hear people say stuff like this. My faith is between God and me, nobody else. It doesn't impact anybody else. Or my religion is a personal thing. Or I believe in God. I don't need to go to church. That is, that is classic, expressive individualism. It's not true Christianity. We need one another. We need each other. And so... You probably, maybe at points, you've said something like these these things. People watching at home right now, you've said stuff like this. Okay, this is not Bible Christianity. This is expressive, individualistic, morphing of Christianity. Some live with the individualism mindset in isolation. They avoid people. They avoid accountability. Or avoid developing meaningful friendships. They maybe will use people to get what they want, but they avoid people otherwise. They become narcissistic, or at least some become narcissistic, which means only interested in self. But we need each other. We need one another. We live in community. The world does not solely revolve around us. The atomic worldview, that's like the billiard balls from last week, we're not just bouncing off of each other like on a billiards table. Um, We're not just water. If you're trying to pick up water out of the ocean and and everything's just one, you can't tell if you're affecting other people or not. It's It's all connected. No, the Bible's relational. It's different as opposed to those two illustrations. It's different. It's relational. There is an interconnectedness. We're not all one, but we're not just all bouncing off of each other. We need one another. I need my family. I need friendship. I need church home. Mark Sanford and Steve Wilkins write, They're the ones who wrote this um, Hidden World Views, Eight Cultural Stories That Shape Our Minds. This is where these definitions have come from. This is interesting. The Greek city-state had a way of calling citizens together when a vote of some type of action was needed or if something else was taking place. If another city-state was marching on them, and you can show the picture, guys, if another city-state was marching on them, um, a person would walk through the streets or run through the streets, blowing a horn and shouting that we all need to get together at the Coliseum announcing that they should get to the amphitheater just outside of town. Uh, When the citizens of the city heard this, they would close up their shops, they would head to the amphitheater, they would get the news and fulfill their civic duty by voicing their response. Like, what are we going to do? Are we going to get an army together to face them again? What are we going to do? And they would talk about it. However, some shop owners refused to shut down, hoping to do extra business with their competitor businesses uh, as the others were closed. The Greeks referred to such persons as idiotes. Idiotes, from which we get the word idiot. So it means idiotes to them meant somebody who's closed up in his or her own world not including anybody else, an opportunist. So I thought about saying, we could say this message is, don't be an idiot (laughs) as a title. Don't be an idiot. Don't be self-absorbed. There are some marks of individualism. The first is this, uh, the end justifies my means. Herod lived that way. Herod does not care to kill the hundreds of infant baby boys as long as he keeps his crown. Number two, another mark is, I alone determine what is right. Herod chooses to break many moral codes in an attempt to keep his crown. He commands the soldiers to kill the babies. He lies to the wise men. He uses the temple priest. He rips infants from their mother's arms. He buries them in a mass grave. He is the center of his universe. Number three, my performance determines my value. This is very very much uh, a cultural thing. It's an American thing. it was something that for Herod as well, as an avid builder and a ruthless statesman, Herod the Great found his value in pushing people around and making large, grand buildings. This is who he was. He found his, uh, some sense of fulfillment in this grand stuff that he would achieve and do. And this is not how the Christian is to live. You know, there is a big problem with this. There's no I and team There's no I in team. It's never right to do the wrong thing, Herod. And after all, isn't God the one who determines what is right and wrong? Herod doesn't choose that. And on top of all of that, no matter what his performance was or motivation to build those buildings and to be so ruthless, we are infinitely loved and valued by God because of who he made us to be. Our value comes From God, not for what we do or do. One person wrote, Life and country music reveal two indisputable truths. First, something deep within us yearns for love. And second, we know that the relationship that brings the promise of love also holds the potential for great pain. That's very true. So let's take a moment and contrast the Bible worldview, which is relational. Three observations. Number one, Jesus came to be with. Us. He came to be with you. Notice in Matthew 1.23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Hundreds of years before, hundreds of years before Christ came, this prophecy, this promise was foretold. Hundreds of years. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. John three sixteen, classic verse. We could all say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So let's unpack this idea for a moment. What's his motivation then? Well, the verse tells us it's love. Why did Christ come to be with us? It's his love for us. What's his method then? His method is sacrifice. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to make a way for you to be with me forever, and I'm going to sacrifice myself. That's why God gave his only, one and only begotten son. His method is sacrifice. His meaning is to restore relationship. And here it is, everlasting life. You don't have to die and perish. Die and go to hell is what perish means. You don't have to spend an eternity separated from God. He paid the entire price for your sin. We believe. We trust Christ. You can have everlasting, eternal, ongoing life. And by the way, when we say that, sometimes people think, well, I don't want to live forever in this uh, type of environment, or I don't want to live forever in a body that hurts or pain or the problems that I have. Yeah, I hear you. It's not living forever in in an earth like this. It's a place of freedom. It's a place of no pain. And it's a place of no sin or no consequences of sin and no death. It's a beautiful thing to live forever when you're living forever with God. There's a big difference with that. There's an article written, uh, adapted from the book, The Woman with Two Heads by Elizabeth Cody Neuenhouse. And she writes, The Christmas, a year after my dad got sick and then passed away, was a tough one. I worked hard to ensure that my little daughter, at least, would not get shortchanged. I shopped, baked a little bit, me- mechanically decorated the house, and even managed a few cards to write to people. I assumed that by Christmas Eve, that holiest of nights, would be magically filled with peace and contentment, regardless of what was going on in our lives. Instead of some warm, magical evening, Elizabeth's husband fell asleep early. She bundled her daughter off the bed and began to finish wrapping presents. She felt alone and so sorry for herself, wondering when it, when that feeling would happen. That Christmas, it never did happen. Elizabeth got through the festivities by forgetting about herself and concentrating on her daughter's joy. She was glad when Christmas was over and the family moved on to January with no expectations and no disappointments. A few days into January, when Elizabeth began to put the toys away, take down a tree, and take the cards off the door, she realized something profound about Christmas, and here's what she says there's a profound difference between the man-made, media-fostered, feel-good creation we call the Christmas spirit and the presence of Christ. Christ's presence, his comfort, his wisdom, his example, are not bound to some timetable, but is available to us all year round. She says, while the Christmas spirit can warm our hearts when family and friends visit, or when we see an infant gazing at tree lights for the very first time, and the warm fuzzies of the holiday season alone are not enough to fill the aching presence or absence, rather, of someone who's special to us. Feel good sentiments are not enough to ease the weariness of the tired heart. Behind the Christmas spirit, whether or not the world acknowledges it, stands the baby, Jesus inviting those to come be with him. What a great observation. Jesus came to be with us. Number two, the wise men came to be with Jesus. And we read that in verses 9 through 12. They heard the king. uh, They departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, Till it came and stood over where the young child was, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. The wise men traveled from a great distance to be with. Jesus. We need Jesus. We need relationship. We need other Christians. The wise men came together. They bowed down, presented their gifts to Jesus together. They gave to the Lord together. They worshiped Jesus together. And so let me encourage you, continue to gather together each Sunday. And as we head into a new year, and as we finish this year, Continue to gather to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we start our, restart our scatter groups, continue to gather in a small group setting, in our scatter groups with others, to share what God is teaching you, and to pray with others, and to open the Scriptures together. Gather for worship. Scatter and share. Deepen your relationship with God. You could even say develop further your worldview to be more biblical. And this is an ongoing, this is a lifelong process that I would truly see things in a bible way to have a bible relational founded worldview. How do you do that? Converse with God throughout the day. Let the word, let God's word speak to you each day. Participate in church and bible studies. Uh, pray with your family. Pause each day, pause personally each day to give thanks to the Lord for another day for whatever he's doing for you in in your life that day. Find ways to serve the Lord. Find ways to do something for others and serving God in the process. And these are things that develop your worldview, just seeing the world the way that God sees it in a relational way way. Sometimes when Christians don't gather like they should, we start to see things in the wrong way. And if we're not accountable to one another, not truly uh, becoming friends with one another, sometimes false teaching develops. In Second Timothy or Second Peter 1.20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. And what that's indicating is there's, there's a need for collaboration. There's a need for community. There's a need for us to gather collectively to serve the Lord and study the Scriptures together. So we need each other as we travel through life. There's an opera, the first opera written for television. Has anyone ever seen this? Uh, a Mall and the Night Visitors. So that's the cover of it. It was, it was originally broadcast back in 1951, and it tells the story of the three wise men who are going to see Jesus. I can tell there's no opera fans here. Uh, No one, like, was shaking their head like, oh, yeah, I know that one. (laughs) Uh, Minotti wrote this. It is a good story. The three wise men are on their way to Bethlehem, and, and they come to the home of a poor woman who has a little boy named Amal. Amal is crippled, and he could not walk except without, without a, his crotch. He had to have his crotch. One evening, their humdrum existence was interrupted by a loud knocking at their door, and his mother said to Amal, Amal, go see who's at the door. And so he went over. he went over to where the door is and then he came back and said mama a king is outside the door and uh, she laughed to him with her tongue saying don't exaggerate and and uh, go back to the door and tell me who's there he walked back to the door and he came back with his crotch there and he said well two kings are at the door and she just said what are you talking about and and really uh gave it to him with her words again and then he walked back a third time or hobbled over with his crush a third time and came back and said, Mama, for real, there's three kings there. Finally, they let the kings in, and uh, they are talking for a little bit. And the mom is so impressed with these kings, and in particular, the gold that one of them was carrying. And in the, in the midst of their conversation, she tries to take some of the gold from that king an uproar pers- uh, 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 erupts then, and eventually, noticing the plight of this poor family, the king says, you can keep this gold. We This gold, we were going to give it to the newborn king, but you can keep the gold. The baby that we're going to worship, he doesn't really need it, but she was caught up with that spirit of generosity. She said, I would never take that gold. I didn't know it was for the baby king. You take the gold and give it to him. If I had anything to send, I would send it myself. And then The most incredible moment of that story is when amal looks up and says i don't have anything but here's what i do have is my crutch i'll give my crutch that's all i have i'll give that crutch to the new king of course he doesn't doesn't need that crutch and the way the opera goes Amal he hands the crutch to the king he stands up and he no longer needs the crutch he was healed it's a fanciful and and an incredible little story But I want you to think about something. Here's these kings in the Bible, these wise men in the Bible. Kings, wise men, however you uh, want to call them. They go to be with Christ. Are you with Christ? Is Christ with you? Jesus is the only one who can heal us, heal our relationships, heal our pain, heal our problems, heal our sin. Let's be with Christ this season. And number three, finally, the Father made the way for us to come to him. This is a relational thing again. The Father made a way, and it's all through Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 1 Timothy 2:5. there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ. Jesus, he's the only way. Works, religion, being better than your neighbor, being a nice guy, a nice woman, that's not gonna do it. It's not a performance on your part that God is valuing. It's have you trusted Christ. Titus 3.5 clarifies, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. All three of these verses, all three of them tell us that individualism cannot save us. Expressive individualism cannot save you. It's not the answer. I'll do what I want to do. I'll make a way to God the way I want to make a way to God. It doesn't work. All three of these verses, it's not our works. It's not our righteousness. It's not our performance. It's not what we do. It's not what we don't do. It's none of those things. It's Christ and Christ alone individualism, personal success, your work ethic, your self-righteousness, look at how good I am. It's nothing. It's nothing. We need Christ. Christ is the only way to have a relationship with God in heaven. So Taylor Swift cannot save herself. Herod cannot save himself. And friends, you, you cannot save yourself. Is Christ and Christ alone. So, we need Jesus. Let me encourage you with a few observations. Finally, as we conclude, avoid self selfishness. Avoid selfishness and isolation. Seek friendships with Christ, with Jesus. Seek friendships with other Christians. Seek friendships with other people, on a daily, daily way. Find ways to give to God by serving. Other. So, just include God and in other people. That's just a simple way. Just include God and other people in your life and avoid that individualistic mindset. It was one of our previous presidents who wrote this A man has found himself when he has found his relation to the rest of the universe. And here it is in the book. And he held, he held up a Bible in which those relations are set forth. And so when you see a man going along the highways of life with his gaze lifted above the road, lifted to the sloping ways in front of him, then be careful of that man and get out of his way. He knows the kingdom for which he is bound. He has seen the revelation of himself in relations to mankind. He has seen the revelation of his... Relation to god his maker and therefore he has seen his responsibility to the world this is the revelation of life and peace woodrow wilson wrote that and it's true there is a relationship that you have to one another and all has meaning and purpose because of your relationship with god the father through jesus christ let's take a moment and answer these questions here the first is this god help me to know that you are the one who determined what is right in my life. You can just keep looking at it there. Maybe you want to make this promise to the Lord today, this prayer, I will forsake sinful ways and sinful thinking. A second observation or question would be this. May the Lord help me to be faithful in my relationship with Him. There's a lot of distractions, even during the holiday season. Let me be faithful in my relationship with God. I'm going to take time to pray, talk with the Lord, read the Bible, participate in Bible study, be in church, consider God in everything that I do. Number three, thank you, Lord, that my value comes from you, not my performance. Jesus gave his life for me, not just the person that I hope to be. He gave his life for me, not just who I hope to be. Lord, I thank you for that. I wanna to believe today. I wanna to trust Christ today. Let's answer these questions here, and I'll leave us in a word of prayer, but with our heads bowed, let's go ahead and, and take a moment to answer these questions. Number one, God, help me to know that you determine what is right for my life. I don't. Help me today to forsake sinful ways and thinking. You are the one who determines right from wrong. Help me to see that and know it. Anybody like that? God, help us with that. Yes, yes. We need that every day. Yes, thank you. Number two, may the Lord help me to be faithful in my relationship with him. It's a busy season. I need to pause and recognize Christ in every moment of my day in my life. God, help me with this. Let me be faithful in my relationship. I see hands going up. Are there others? God, help us. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And then have you trusted Christ for yourself? Your value doesn't come from your performance. We can't save ourselves. Have you trusted Christ for yourself? Jesus gave his life for you, not for the person that you hope to be one day. He gave his life for you. Would you believe that today? Maybe you want to know more about salvation and forgiveness of sin. I'd like to know more about salvation today. Is there anyone like that? Just raise your hand, and and I'll, I'll just pray with you today. We could talk following the service. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the things that we could learn from Herod and his worldview that we could consider our lives to be more like these wise men who went to be with Christ. We thank you that Christ came to be with us, and Lord, we thank you that you made a way for us to be with you through believing in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this Christmas season. It's a busy time for a lot of folks running around doing all kinds of things. But let us continue to walk with you, to know you, to recognize and see you in every part of our lives. Bless each one with these different decisions made today and continue to challenge us that we would not have the individualistic worldview that many in our, in our country have, but let us have a relational Bible worldview relating to you and to others in loving and caring ways. We thank you for this day of worship. We pray for the next few weeks that you continue to bless as we celebrate Christmas. And uh, we pray for safety now as we go. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for coming today and participating. Hope you have a great rest of the day. We'll have one more worldview next week and then something else for that, that Christmas Sunday right before. So God bless. Have a great day.